0: Well, I'll tell you what, when it comes to work, sometimes there's no worse place to be seated than across from this desk right here, especially when it's that day for annual reviews, right? Because when you know that review's coming up, the worry and the anxiety builds up inside of you. You begin to wonder, have they seen the effort I've put in? Do they value who I am and what I do for them at work? You you wonder, how am I going to have to defend myself this year? How will they put me down once again? And what tends to happen is on the day of annual reviews is what we tend to put on our boxing gloves, and we say we're ready to go, right? We, we tend to look at our reviews as, okay, I'm going to have to fight. I just know that's what's going to happen. And you put on your gloves, and you're ready to go. This is just kind of what we've learned or been taught. If someone's going to give me criticism, I've got to be ready to fight back. Let me tell you about one of the worst reviews that I've ever had. Now, I've had more than one bad review. This is just the one I'm choosing to tell you about. But in this review... I had a boss, and you see, before I was a senior pastor, uh, I was actually a children's pastor in the past. And and as children's pastor, I had this boss, and he did this review for me. And during this review, I kept getting low scores and low scores and low scores. Now, it's not like I had never gotten a low score before, right? Like, I don't think I've ever had a review where when the word organization came up, I got a high score all right? You go look in my office right now, and you'll see, like, I have piles. Like, it's not normal the way I operate and work. I have a table in my office that's meant for eight people to sit around it so we can have meetings there, but half the table is my papers. I have piles on the floor, okay? So, so, so getting a bad score on organization, yep, I own that. I know that. That's, that's normal for me, but I kept getting bad score after bad score after bad score, and I didn't know why, because he kept not giving me any reason, just would say, here's this score, it's a bad score. Here's this score, it's a bad score. So we get to the end of the review, and my boss, my supervisor, asked me, he says, do you have any questions? I said, yes, I do. I said, can you help me understand some of these scores? I've never scored this low. Help me know why am I getting this low of a score. And I said, can you just give me some examples of some things? And so he sat there for a while, and we just sat in silence, which is like death to me. And we waited. And then finally he goes, oh, I, I know. I, I got something for you. I was like, okay, good. He goes, yeah, um, in the two-year-old nursery, um, you, you guys keep stacking the books this way, and I think more two-year-olds would read the books if instead you would stack them this way. And I said to him, I don't think the two-year-olds care, but if you want to be a two-year-old about this, I will do it your way. No, that's not what I said. That was just <laughs> me wanting to put on the gloves, right? It was me going, all right, let's do this, you know, but you can't do that. Now, we talked some more about what he meant by that and, and, and why he would say that, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, by the end of it, I kind of went, I'm going to have to agree to disagree, but, but here's what I know it was true, is all that he was trying to do, whether I agreed with him or not, was he's trying to make me better at my job. He was trying to help me improve. And this is actually one of the biggest challenges in our culture today is that we live in a make it better culture, right? Like whatever you did last year, this year do it better. Whatever you've been successful in the past, great. We want you to do that again, but do it bigger. Do it better. And In fact, it's not just a work thing. It's not just a corporate culture kind of thing. This is just in our regular personal lives too, right? Everything you do, everybody looks at you and says, great job, make it better. Hey, that was okay. I think you can do it better. That was decent, but I think we can improve it. And in fact, that's the way we always tend to think. And it's not a bad thing. You know, it's it's a good thing that we want to improve. It's a good thing that we want to get better. Whatever it is, you want to get better at. Whether it's whether you want to be a, a better parent or a better student, a better spouse, a better employee, whatever it may be, it's, it's a good thing that you want to get better. But the problem is, is that there's a challenge us getting better. It, and usually, the way it works is the thing that comes between us and the better version of us <laughs> is us. Let me say that again, in case you're getting in the way of yourself understanding that. Okay. The thing that usually gets in between us and the better version of us is us. We do. And how we usually get in the way of that is with our own assumptions. We make assumptions that lead to problems, that lead to misunderstandings, that put us on the wrong path. And so instead of being on the path towards the better version of us, we're on a path that's not going to lead to a better version of us. Because we tend to think, well, yeah, I think that meeting went well. Well, yeah, I think they think well of me, and in reality can be a little bit off. So what do you do when that's the case? I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where Jesus and Peter, one of his 12 disciples, are having an interaction. And Peter has made some assumptions about Jesus that have him a little bit off, and Jesus kind of has to check him up on it, all right? So Jesus is sitting down with the 12 disciples, and he's telling them, here's what's coming in the future. Here's, about, here's what's about to take place. In order for me to be the savior of the world, this is going to happen, all right? So Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus tells this to his disciples, and Peter has a very strong reaction to it, Based upon the assumptions that he has, see Peter has assumed that Jesus is going to come and he's going to establish his own kingdom on earth. That Jesus is going to come and he's going to wipe out the Romans, take care of them, remove them from the promised land, allow Israel to be their own nation. That Jesus is going to set this all up and he'll do battle if he needs to do battle. There'll be wars if there needs to be wars. But Jesus has come to do that. So, so for him to hear Jesus say, "I'm going to have to be beaten up, I'm going to have to be hurt, I'm going to have to be killed," he didn't even listen to the raised again. He didn't even hear that. He's just thinking, no, 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 that can't happen. So watch watch Peter's strong reaction to Jesus. He says, never, Lord. This should never happen to you. Now, because of Peter's assumptions, he's wrong here. He's assumed he knows something about Jesus, but he's wrong about what he's assuming. And so Peter has these strong words for Jesus. Jesus's words back to Peter next are every bit as strong. Some of you, what I'm about to show you, you've heard this said before, but maybe you didn't know the story where it's from. Here's the story where it's from. So Peter says, never, Lord, this should never happen to you. And Jesus replies to him, get behind me, Satan. You thought your annual reviews were tough. Just be thankful it wasn't Jesus doing it, right? You thought, oh, I bet Jesus would be easy. He literally calls Peter Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter had made this assumption about the coming kingdom and that Jesus is going to set it up on earth and he's got it wrong and Jesus has to check him up on it and be like, no, 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 you don't understand, Peter. And so Jesus goes on. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And because Peter's assumptions were wrong, He's headed in the wrong direction. He's not going to experience the better version of himself unless somebody helps him, unless somebody points it out to him, and that's what Jesus is doing here. Now, the same thing can be true for you and I in our lives. We can make assumptions about things that have us on the wrong path, that rather than being able to become the better version of ourselves that God has always intended for us to be, we can sometimes make assumptions that leads in the wrong direction. Like, you can have a one-on-one that you assume went well. You can have an annual review that you assume went great. You can have a conversation with your boss and assume that he loves you. You can run a project and assume that everybody who's on that project with with you thought you did a great job. You can assume the project went good and the whole company is pleased and happy. We can make assumptions, and when they're not accurate, then it is very hard for us to begin to grow into the better version of ourselves. See, our assumptions get in the way. Now, here's the good news. Here's a way that you can overcome when your assumptions are wrong. You ready? Everybody else around you knows what's wrong with you, and they would love to tell you. (laughs) Right? I mean, everybody else around you, they can see what's getting in the way, and they would love to let you know what's in the way. They can see it. But the problem is that every one of us, we hate to get those little emails, or text messages, or when somebody wants to have that one-on-one conversation to say, can I tell you what is wrong with you? <laughs> can I tell you what's not working? Can I tell you what? And the reason why is this, this one little scary word that every one of us hates. It's the word feedback. <laughs> Nobody ever really wants feedback. Now, the word feedback and the way that we use it, it's a word that originated around the 1950s. And the definition for the word feedback is to feed corrective information back to the point of origin. To feed corrective information back to the origin. It originally was used kind of in industrial settings. So imagine basically that you're kind of in like an uh, industrial setting, you're along an assembly line, and person number eight in the line is putting the bolt on wrong. To give feedback would be to, to, to feed corrective information to person number eight about how to put the bolt on the right way and, and, and get it fixed. And so when you think of it that way, based on the definition, it sounds so simple, right? It sounds easy. Like, it's like, oh, man, that sounds great. So you just need to tell them, dial this up, dial that down, start doing this, stop doing that, fix this, fix that. That sounds simple and easy. But we all know feedback is not, Right? And the reason why feedback is not simple and easy is because it involves people, right? People who make assumptions, people who are going to assume something about the feedback that you're giving, sometimes rightfully so and sometimes not. And so here's, here's what I think we all know about feedback, is that feedback is rarely a pleasant experience. No matter who you are, it tends to be the case that feedback is rarely a pleasant experience. You know how I know this? I know this is true. Let's do a little test, all right? All right, just play along with me. Let's say that today when church is done, you make your way home. You get home to your house. You make your way to your bedroom, and you put on your comfies of all comfies. You've got the sweatpants on, you've got the slippers on, you've got the big baggy sweatshirt, or maybe you're one of those that you're like, no, I like no sweatshirt, that's fine. Whatever you want to roll with, but you are as comfortable as it gets. You feel good, right? You walk into the kitchen, and your spouse, or your roommate, or maybe even one of the kids They say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And you feel so chill that you're like, of course. I'm as comfortable as all gets out. I'm doing nothing for the rest of the day. I absolutely, I got a minute for you. Let's talk. What's up? And then they look at you and they say, can I give you some feedback? (laughs) And what happens immediately, right? Right? The worry and anxiety begins to well up inside of you. Your palms become a little bit of sweaty. Uh, Niagara Falls begins to drench from your armpits, right? Like, like all of a sudden you're worried because they use the word. Feedback. In fact, in fact, some of you right now in this room, you've already begun to sweat just me talking about this, right? You're thinking, oh my word, I hope, I hope that just because he brought this up, my, my significant other does not think this is an opportunity to do this when we get home. This is not what I want. I'm never going to be able to relax now. Like, like, some of you, you're already going there and thinking that. We don't love feedback. It's really a pleasant experience. Like, like For example, like, like no couple, no couple ever says, what do you want to do for date night? You know what? Yeah, yeah, you know what would be a lot of fun is if we just kind of get off alone, just the two of us, and we tell each other what's wrong with each other, right? Let's just give each other a bunch of feedback. Like, Like, wouldn't that be great? Like, nobody does that. In a couple of weeks, you're going to go to Thanksgiving. You're going to have family around you. There's going to be this moment maybe where you pray for the meal. Maybe your family does the whole, everybody has to say what you're thankful for thing, and you're going to go around. Like, like when that time comes, nobody's going to go, hold on, hold on, before we say what we're thankful for and I'm thankful for all of you, but I just was thinking, we got the whole family here together. What if, what if while everyone's here, we just gave each other some feedback, right? <laughs> like Uncle Bob, earlier I heard you saying some stuff about Aunt Betty. Well, let's just get that out in the open. Just, that's not going to happen, right? Because feedback is rarely a pleasant experience. We all know that. In fact, oftentimes it's, it's downright painful. And so what tends to happen when it comes to feedback is that our initial reaction to feedback is to fight back, right? Man, as soon as that feedback comes, I'm ready. It's almost like we never take our gloves off. We're ready to go. Someone wants to give me some feedback. Someone wants to talk. Let's do this. Some of you get excited to put the gloves on. (laughs) Others of you, you hate it, but you never really take them off. Because whenever we get feedback, our initial response is to fight back. There's a popular book called Thanks for the Feedback. It's, It's written by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. They're a couple of folks from Harvard. And, and they talk about the nervous brain system, the, the, or did I say that? The neuro, ha, the neuroscience of the brain, the nervous, I'm nervous, you're nervous, it's feedback, it's all, we're all nervous. They talk about the neuroscience of the brain. What they're talking about in this book is they talk about how your brain works every time you receive feedback. Every time somebody tells you, gives you constructive criticism, and they have this word they use called wrong spotting. And every one of us does this. And essentially what they're saying is that whenever you receive feedback or criticism, you begin to wrong spot. You begin to look for what is wrong in that feedback because if you can find something wrong with it, you get to completely ignore the rest of it. You don't have to pay any attention whatsoever. And so as soon as you get feedback, you start wrong spotting. Now, we all do this. Even even I do this. In fact, just recently, the leadership at our church here, we decided that we wanted to take a survey of our staff we kind of we wanted to find out, what does the culture of our staff feel like? And I wanted to kind of find out, what does it feel like to sit across the desk from Kirk? And if you don't ask and give people a chance to feed back into you, you never know things like that. And so the good news is, is that for the most part, the surveys were good. We got great responses and good things and things we can celebrate But because our staff is so talented and good at what they do, because they're smart, they also had some negative things, some things that we needed to work on. Can I tell you, as soon as I read the first negative thing, my initial response was to be like, that's wrong. Yes, that's awful. In fact, you guys are just lucky that you have a boss that doesn't tell you how to stack the books in the two-year-old nursery, right? (laughs) Like like That's where my mind went to. I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to fight back. I wanted to find what was wrong with the feedback so I could negate all of it and ignore it. And that's what we all tend to do. But we have to be careful because this is incredibly dangerous if you do this. It's dangerous because when we fight back from feedback... We move away from the better version of ourselves, the version of ourselves that God has always intended for you to grow into. And so when you fight back from feedback, you you eliminate your ability to get better, to actually hear what needs to improve. And so we have to come to a place where we can see that feedback is hurtful, but it's also helpful. We have to come to a place where we can see feedback the way that David saw feedback. Let me show you, in Psalm 141, verse 5, David has this to say. He says, let a righteous man strike me. This is a weird verse. That is a kindness. (laughs) Let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head. Let me see if I can explain this verse for you. The word rebuke here, it literally means to be put in the right. David is saying, let him put me in the right. Let him correct me. This is feedback that David's talking about. He's saying, let him give me feedback. And see, well, this, is, this is somebody who's trying to give you constructive criticism. They're trying to give you a new perspective so you can understand what it's like to sit on the other side of the desk from you. So you can understand what it's like to have a conversation with you. So you can understand what it's like to have an argument or a debate with you you. And so the person is trying to give a new perspective here. Now, the second part after rebuke, it says, that is oil on my head. You have to understand, this isn't oil like you might be thinking. Some of you are thinking like, "Ooh, I get to dump car oil on their head. This sounds good. I like this. That's, this is like a fragrant oil. In their culture, in their time, this would have been an honoring thing. Anytime you put oil on somebody's head or anywhere on them, it, it, it was giving them honor. And so essentially what David is saying, he's saying, hey, let a righteous man strike me. That's a kindness." What's a kindness? If they rebuke me, if they give me feedback, if they feed me corrective information, that is honoring to me because it makes me better. It makes me closer to the person that God has always wanted me to be. Feedback is not a bad thing. And so what we need to learn how to do is anytime you receive feedback, you need to admit that it hurts, but remember that it helps. Admit that it hurts and remember that it helps. Let me give you a little saying that will help you be able to do this, all right? Anytime you receive feedback, here's what you need to learn how to say. Ouch, that helps. That's it. Ouch, that helps. You begin to practice this, it'll begin to change how you receive feedback. Now, I know that there's a temptation in this room right now. That right now there are several of you that are tempted by something. Because you're thinking in your head that you shouldn't preach on feedback unless you want feedback, and so you're thinking about the feedback you'd like to give me on this sermon right now. (laughs) Let me say this. I would love your thoughts. I would love that feedback. In fact, I would love it so much. If you've got thoughts for me, send it here to Evan Bibb (laughs) at com. all right? Send it right there, and probably no one will get back to you, but um, (laughs) Let me use that to transition now. Well, uh, the area that I want to finish up using the rest of our time together talking about is, is an area that I think is a tremendous ability to be an obstacle to each of us when it comes to trying to receive feedback. Uh, back to the book that we talked about earlier, the book called uh, Thanks for the Feedback. The authors in their book, they actually spend a significant amount of time on this one little word called identity. They spend a lot of time talking about identity and how it impacts your capacity to receive feedback. Now, their definition in that book for identity is simply that your identity is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. So your identity is the story that you tell yourself about yourself. Your identity is what you are sitting there hoping is true about you, thinking is true about you. That becomes your identity of who you are, at least to you. And so identity quickly gets pulled into any conversations where feedback is present. We can see this whenever we're having conversations because oftentimes what happens is that when we're having conversations and somebody's being constructive with us is that they will say one thing and we will hear another. Now, let me give you some examples so you can go, oh, yeah, that's true. This could be in the workplace. This could be between you and a spouse. This could be between you and a child, you and a friend, it could be anybody. But typically what happens is they'll say one thing and we hear another. Here's some examples. They say, you've been late to a couple meetings recently. We hear you're bad at your job. They say, it would be good for you to make it to the kids' soccer game this weekend. We hear you're never around. They say, you shouldn't have said that. We hear you never say the right thing. They say, I have a concern, and we hear everyone has a concern. They say, you could improve in this area, and what we hear is you need to improve in many areas. They say, I don't love that idea, and we hear, you have nothing to offer. And in all of these situations, and in all of these circumstances, the feedback is about one thing, yet we somehow make it about everything. Rather than it being about this one area of our life that we can improve upon, this one area of our life that we can get better at, rather than letting it be about that, we make it about us as a person. And as soon as you make the feedback that you are receiving about you as a person, as soon as you let your identity get drawn into the feedback, then it all becomes about your self-worth. And when feedback becomes about self-worth, it's going to be near impossible for you to ever hear what somebody has to say to help you improve. Because when it becomes about self-worth, now what you're saying is, I need you to validate me, not help me improve. This is where we get really at odds with feedback because it's difficult to improve something while we're trying to prove something. See, if I'm trying to prove to you that I'm a certain way, if I'm trying to prove to you that I'm good enough at this, if I'm trying to prove something to you about my personality or about who I am, about my identity, about my value, if I'm trying to prove something to you, it is very difficult to improve at something. Because instead of hearing what I need to hear to improve, all I'm worried about is proving to you I have value. If we need the other person to validate us, we're never going to be able to hear the advice or the feedback that we need in order to grow. But many of us, this is how we treat reviews. We're looking for them to validate us. Let me see if I can draw this out so that you can understand what I'm saying. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Imagine that we all have this little box that we carry around with us. All right? And to the side of this box, there's a line there. All right? A blank space. And the truth of the matter is, we actually have several of these boxes in, in blank spaces and lines. And what we do is that we fill in these lines with things that we hope are true of ourselves, essentially, with our identity. And so we'll fill in these blank spaces with words like smart. I hope people think I'm smart. Talented. Oh, I want people to think I'm talented. I want them to tell me that I'm talented. Creative. I need them to tell me I'm creative. Oh, a good leader. I need them to tell me I'm a good leader. You might throw other words in there. Like I need them to know that I'm strong. Uh, maybe that I'm a good worker or that I'm successful. But we put these words in there. This becomes our identity. And then what happens is that we hope that when we walk into a meeting, when we're having a conversation with our boss, when we're having an annual review, or even when I'm just talking with a friend or my spouse and I are talking, what begins to happen is that you begin to look for the other person to validate these things about you. You're looking to get a check in your box, and as long as I get a check that they say, oh, you are smart, boy, we are good. And then when they say, you're talented, I'm like, oh, that feels so good. This has been a good meeting. This has been great. And when they say, I'm creative, oh, that's good. And what happens is that you begin to go into conversations looking for validation, not for improvement. And then what'll happen is all of a sudden there'll be a comment that gets made, something that gets said that doesn't match what you believe to be true about yourself, that doesn't match the identity that you've said is true of you. In the moment that somebody gives you feedback that says, here's a place where you could grow, instead of you hearing it as, I I could get better here, all you think is you see a big giant red X that says, you're not this. You're not good enough. You're not that. You're never going to be that. You got it wrong. And when that happens we begin to feel rejected. When that happens, we begin reeling and scrambling. We begin questioning who we are. And the reality is, even if you get a check in this box, even if right now in life you feel like, I'm going to check in all the boxes, the reality is every one of these checks are temporary. Right? Because think about it. Even if you have a good employee review, as soon as the review is done, what are those last words they say? (laughs) Keep up the good work. In other words, I hope you're this good next time. In fact, it'd be great if you're better, right? They they never they, if, if you're scored like like one to five, you never get all fives. Even those of you that live in perfect country, it drives you nuts. But you never get all fives, right? And so every single time you are left at a review with the idea that I could get better. I should get better. I have to improve. And so even when you get these checks in the boxes, they're fading. The moment they get put in there, they begin to fade. <laughs> Because you got to keep it up. Keep up the good work. Keep doing it. Don't, Don't lose it. And so the reality is, the truth is, when we live with an unchecked box, we're just going from one thing to the next trying to get validated. We're going from one conversation at work to the next hoping that we get validation that somebody says, I am these things. In fact, for some of you, you have bounced from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, and you can't figure out why, and this is why. Because with every relationship you enter into, you're looking for someone to validate you, to say that you're talented or creative or strong or smart or hardworking. In this moment, you don't get validated, then you're out and you're trying to find somebody else to fill something in you that they're not meant to fill and they don't have the ability to fill. And so what happens when we have an unchecked box is we go into self-protect mode where, where we will only enter into conversations. We will only do tasks and jobs where we know we're gonna get validated at the end of them. And anything that we think might put a red X on us, anything that we think might lead to feedback, we will try to avoid at all costs. Because we don't want our self-worth put down. Because we don't want to feel this way about ourselves. Now, when you become a follower of Jesus, it changes everything. When you become a follower of Jesus, it completely changes your identity, and it changes how we should function when it comes to this idea when it comes to not just how we receive feedback and reviews, but when it comes to how we see ourselves. So let me take you to some scriptures that talk about your identity when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says this. He says, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, the moment you say, I'm a Jesus follower, as soon as you say, I want to follow him, I want him to be my Lord and my Savior, as soon as that happens, he says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. In other words, any title this world has ever tried to put upon you, when the world has tried to say, no, 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 you're just a drunkard, or you're just an addict, or you're not good enough, or you're worthless, or you're stupid, or whatever titles the world has tried to put on you, this is saying that old is gone. It is no more. That title no longer exists. You are new now. The new has come. Come, Paul goes on and he says, hey, you need to know we're ambassadors of Christ. What that means is that when you become a follower of Jesus, Paul says, you, Paul says God has determined that you are how he's going to reach the world. When there are people around you who are spiritually unresolved, they have not yet decided if they're going to follow God, follow Jesus, God says, you're my plan to reach them. You are ambassadors for Christ. The very next verse, he says, he who knew no sins, talking about Jesus, became sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, this is that double transfer we love to talk about here at Faith Church. This is the idea that when Jesus died on the cross, there was two transfers that took place. When he died on the cross, you transferred. When you say, I want to follow Jesus, when you say he's my Lord and my Savior, you transfer your sins from you to him. That's the first transfer. The second transfer that takes place is this right here. It says that we might become the righteousness of God. The second transfer is that then Jesus transferred his righteousness to you, which means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see the labels the world has put on you. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the mistakes that you've made in this world. He doesn't see the struggles that you've had. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ in you. That's what He sees. And so Paul's saying, that's your identity, that's who you are in Jesus. He goes on then, and in Colossians, he says, the fullness of the deity of Christ lives in you. What that means is that when you became a Christ follower, you were made complete. When you became a Christ follower, you were made complete. Listen, what that means is that means that you you don't need anything. You you don't need the validation of, of anybody else, because in Christ you've been made complete. You don't need validation from your boss. You don't need validation from a supervisor. You don't need validation from a co-worker, not even from a spouse, because in Christ you've been made complete. The fullness of Christ alive in you. In Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And then finally in Galatians, Paul also says, in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew. Slave nor free, male nor female, but rather, in Christ Jesus, we are all one. See, in other words, all those things that you used to use to describe yourself, <laughs> in their culture, it would be things like Greek, Jew, slave, free, male, female. Maybe in our culture, it's things like extrovert, introvert. <laughs> leader, behind-the-scenes person. Outgoing, not outgoing. Outgoing. Whatever those words are that you maybe used to use to describe yourself, Paul is saying, no longer do you need to use those things. The only thing that identifies you above and beyond all else, the thing that matters more than anything and everything else is that you are in Christ Jesus, that you have faith in Christ. And so church, what I want you to see is that your faith in Jesus changes how we receive feedback. It changes how we allow others to speak into our lives. So let me show you. So you've got the blank box, but now in the line it says faith in Jesus Christ. And and here's the thing you've got to know. This is the only box that matters. This is the only box where validation means anything. And what you have to know from Scripture is that that box, when you say, I'm following Jesus, I want him to be my Lord, I want him to be my Savior, that box has been marked for eternity. It has been checked forever. It does not fade. It does not change. You have faith in Jesus. Boom, that's checked. So it doesn't matter how many of the lines and boxes come below it. You don't need validation for those things because first and foremost, above all else, You are one in Jesus Christ. So it changes how you receive feedback. Because you see, our tendency is to pick these up. Our tendency is to want to fight back. But when this becomes true of you, it allows you to be changed. Now, Now here's the thing. Even in your life, if you say, I want to become a better version of myself, I want to be improved, and I want to get better, and you're like, I know I've got to stop fighting back on feedback. I've got to put the gloves down. Here's the thing. You can know that you need to put the gloves down, but until you get your identity right in Jesus Christ, you'll never be able to do that. You will keep picking them up and fighting back against feedback. And the reason why is because when you get your identity right in Christ, you understand that the only validation that matters is this one. And when I have this right, nothing else underneath it matters. I don't need my boss to validate me. I don't need any of you to validate me. I don't even need my friends to validate me. And when your identity is right in Christ, you can set the gloves down. And you can say, okay, I'm ready to receive feedback so I can become the better version of myself that Jesus has intended for me to be from the beginning. This brings us to our so what moment. So, what does this mean? What do I do with this? Where do I go from here? Church, let me tell you something. I actually believe that Christ's followers should be the best in the world at receiving feedback. Christ's followers should be the best in the entire world at receiving feedback. In fact, if, if you want your life to look different, if you want people who you work with to say, man, There's something different about him. There's something different about her. If you want them to see Jesus in you, this is one of the best ways to do it because the world struggles with feedback. The world struggles when they're told, here's something you need to improve on. Here's something you need to work on because their identity is caught up in their work. Their identity is caught up in do the people like me? Do they think I'm good at what I do? When your identity is caught up in, am I who Jesus says I am? Yes, I am. When your identity is there, then you're able to go, yes, I will receive feedback. In fact, here's the key. When we no longer seek the approval of others, we are free to seek the feedback of others. And when you know that you're approved by God, you don't need the approval of others, therefore now you're able to seek their feedback, which helps you become a better person, which helps you become the person that God has always intended and wanted you to become from the moment he created you. In fact, sometimes he puts the feedback in your life for a reason. And so, because I don't need somebody else to check my box <laughs> I can actually look at people and say I'd love for you to help me get better I'd love for you to help me grow as an employee help me grow as a leader help me grow as a friend as a spouse as a parent because I no longer need you to check my box because I no longer need to seek the approval of others I'm free to seek the feedback of others would you pray with me Heavenly Father the truth of the matter is, is that feedback is hard. I don't care who you are, it's just hard to receive it. It's not our favorite thing, it's challenging. And Lord, the truth of the matter is, we, we struggle with it, but, but I want to I speak to not the symptoms, but the reality, the truth of what's behind it. God, here's what I would pray for our church. Here's what I would pray for everyone in this room right now is that our identity would be in Christ Jesus above all else. Because God, what I'm sensing right now is there are some people in this room who they've been given some titles by this world. I don't know if it was by a, a dad or a family member or somebody, but there's people in this world that they feel like, this room, they feel like their title is not good enough or not worthy or Unlovable. And God, would you speak to that right now? That their identity above any title the world has ever given them, their identity is in Christ Jesus. Lord, there's others in this room, they've made choices in their life, bad choices, they know that. But the world has titled them drunkard. The world has titled them addict. The world has titled them problem. And God, I pray that right now in this moment, your Holy Spirit would just speak to those in this room with that title and say, that is no longer your title. The old is gone. The new has come. You are made new in Christ Jesus. Above all else, you are known today as a Jesus follower. Because God, here's what I know. When we can get our identity right, we're able to open ourselves up to the feedback of others so we can grow into the person that you've always intended us to be. And so God, help us to get this identity piece together so we can become who you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.